I'm Salwa Khan, and on today's Mothering Earth, my guest is Andrew Dobbs, who is with the Texas Campaign for the Environment, or TCE, in Austin, Texas. I'd like to welcome you to Mothering Earth. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me and to our listeners about some very important issues related to garbage. We generate a lot of garbage, trash, refuse, waste, whatever you call it. And the problem is we don't seem to know what to do with it other than to toss it in the trash bin. Yet there are solutions that can help mitigate the sheer volume of trash, which would do a lot to reduce the number of landfills and incinerators that we now use to handle the waste. And that's what we want to talk to you about today, Andrew Dobbs, because in your work, you are passionate about this subject and about something our listeners may have heard of called zero waste. So let's begin by learning a little bit about the mission of the Texas Campaign for the Environment and about you and your role here. Thanks for having me. Um, Texas Campaign for the Environment is a nonpartisan, nonprofit, uh, statewide citizens group. Um, we have offices here in Austin and also in Dallas and in Houston, and we canvass in all 181 legislative districts, all 150 House districts, all 31 Senate districts. Canvass meaning we go door to door and knock on doors and talk to Texans in every single corner of the state. Um, we are, like I said, we're grassroots. Um, we work at from the people and connect them to the decision makers um, that have an impact on their lives and on their environment. We do have that focus on waste and recycling to a great extent, and even more broadly in the consumer economy. We also work on uh, toxic household products and other related issues. We'll jump in on uh, energy and water and the other things that folks are working on. But, you know, this is, uh, this is an issue area that uh, can sometimes be neglected. Uh, at times, especially just walking through our lives, it can seem like uh, water, you know, if you're a fish, you don't even notice it, um, but that this is crucial for us to have a sustainable future. So we, our vision is a Texas free from pollution. Um, that is what we are committed to. And we use creative uh, organizing and direct action techniques in order to connect the public to their decision makers and hold them accountable, both corporate and government, um, so that we can have a future uh, at all in this state, but certainly one that's cleaner and healthier than the one we have today. What we are here uh, to kind of focus on is zero waste. Yeah. And so I'd like to start by kind of having you give us a definition of what that is, because sure. I think a lot of people haven't heard the term or maybe they don't quite understand what it means. Yeah, I think that you know, there's an old uh, saying with it, which is zero waste or darn close, right? Um, there is a great uh, extended definition from the Zero Waste International Alliance, which listeners can find at Zwia, Z-W-I-A dot org. And I wish I had, I had that in front of me right now, but what I can say is that its basic per premise is that zero waste is a system which mimics nature because in the natural environment there is no waste. There are discards, but every discard is the input for some other process. You know, the dead leaves become the soil, which becomes the next plant, which be, dies and becomes the next round of soil. You know, the 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 animal uh, passes away and becomes uh, the animal passes away, and its uh, flesh becomes food for something else, which then becomes food for something else, which becomes you know some other process, right? The input for some other process. Um, so that is. Uh, 
that is how nature operates. And we can have our industrial society operate that way as well. Um, what it takes is conscientious planning. Um, it takes putting, having the right incentives in place and the right policies in place. Um, right now, today, it is absolutely possible with existing technology and known processes and policies for us to keep more than 90% of our discards out of the landfills. The vast majority of what we throw away is recyclable. Uh, just existing exist recycling programs like you have at the drop-off centers in your towns or in curbside recycling if you have that. Most majority of your waste could be taken care of in there. A majority of what's left is compostable. Um, could especially if you're doing uh, large scale composting where you can do the the, the dirty pizza boxes um, and the and the food sold papers and that sort of thing. Um, and then what's left over, uh, a big chunk of that, the companies that make those products could, can and should be responsible for them. And now you're talking about you're getting down to a few really uh, a few bad products which we could ban. Um, and uh, inerts like your, uh, you know, your dirts and your clays and your ceramics, you know, things that, um, you know, are if those are the only things that were that were landfilling at the end of the day, we're going to be okay. You know, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of those things, and they don't pose the same kind of threat to our life and limb that that all these other products do when they're buried and or burned. Let's say in our ideal world that we adopted zero waste all across the U.S. What would be some of the things that we would see? What what evidence would we have of that in our environment? What would we What would be different? Sure. If I can, I want to step back by saying it's not just our ideal world where this has to happen. This is the only future that we have. Um, we cannot sustain right. the throwaway quote unquote culture that we have now. I say quotes because there is no away. Right. We're sending it somewhere. And when we're sending it is into the communities of people that are oftentimes uh, already the most marginalized and oppressed communities in our society. Um, and we are changing our climate through the way that we waste. We are changing our air and our water and our land in ways that will poison us. So we cannot sustain this. So this is our future or we don't have a future. So what will happen when we accomplish this? Um, is there's several things. One is that um, we will no longer be treating some of our neighbors as garbage themselves. And one of the things that's really important is that a society that's built on the assumption of waste inevitably starts to treat some people as disposable. Um, and that is something that we also cannot sustain. So I believe that it would, could have pr profound uh, cultural impacts um, and helping us to see the value, not just in everything we own, but in everybody that we live with and around. So that's an important one. I think that you would see, you have to have, it's not just, I mean, I listed off all the recyclables and the, the compostables and everything else. It's not just, you can't start, that's where we start is at the end of the line, but it would have huge impacts moving up the line. One important one is about getting rid of the toxic nature of a lot of our products. That's another thing that TCE is working on right now. You know, um, a lot of the products that you're buying, you know, and I'm not just talking about cleaning supplies and that sort of thing. I'm talking about your kids' pajamas and your dog toys and the electronics and the school supplies supplies um, that you're that you're keeping in your home have toxic chemicals in them the furniture that you have in electronics with uh, flame retardants um, and those sorts of things you know all these things have toxic chemicals those toxic chemicals 
are on the one hand a function of the need to make cheap disposable stuff um, and to, to try and make these things easier to throw away in the first place. So if you're, tell, if you're designing for durability, you wouldn't have those anyways. But then they also make it harder to recycle and they make our trash more toxic. So if we take this zero waste idea seriously, which another part of the definition of zero waste is reducing and eliminating all harmful discharges to our environment, right? If we take this seriously, then we're reducing the toxicity of all the products in our lives. That's a huge impact just right there. And then finally, I mean, we could, we would see, it would be about having things that are made to last, right? So the kind of, you know, accumulation of random stuff that weighs us down, that I believe contributes so much to the stress of our day-to-day lives. Currently, we're using landfills uh, to dump our garbage, and most of us, of course, don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about the landfill. We're just happy when the dump truck comes and takes our trash away. Uh, But now you've you've already touched on this, but I'd like to get into a little more uh, depth about that, which is the toxic materials that are in the garbage and how they are leaking into our groundwater through the landfills. Um, can you talk about that? Absolutely. You know, according to the groundwater monitors that are that that are monitored by the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, um, more than forty percent of the landfills in the state of Texas are leaking some kind of toxic chemicals to our groundwater. Okay. Now, what's really scary is that these groundwater monitors are not deployed in such a way to catch everything. In fact, it's a really loose regime um, in terms of the regulation there. So uh, the numbers are actually probably much worse than that. According to the EPA, all landfill liners will fail sooner or later. The landfill liners that we're talking about, you'll hear the industry tell you how wonderful they are. It's made from the same plastic that your milk jug is made out of, and it's as thick as 15 sheets of paper. You know, we used to have a piece of it in our Dallas office that we stuck to the wall with a thumbtack. Okay. Um, not only can uh, obviously sharp objects, which there's plenty of those in the garbage, pierce it, it can be degraded by things such as margarine. Okay. Um, so you're talking about a very, very weak protection system that we have in our landfills. You put it in the landfill, it goes into our water. What's especially concerning is that a number of our older landfills, first off, any landfill that was built before the early 1990s doesn't even have a liner, right? That's a a product of of increased regulation that we won in the early 1990s. Not we, TCE, but a lot of our allies and friends won in the the 1980s and 1990s. Um, Those old landfills don't even have liners. Okay. And then they, and so you put this in, and then a lot of those landfills and a lot of historic landfills have been built on or near waterways, right? Because that was the way to get the garbage there. So when you, and, and then we have groundwater all throughout the state of Texas. Um, when you put the, the, when you put something in the trash, it inevitably ends up in our water. Um, and the stuff that we have, not only the toxic household products like I was talking about, you know, but then people putting their electronics in there, putting household hazardous waste in there, you know, uh, illegal dumping uh, of, of hazardous materials. And then the bar that you have to clear for it to actually be considered truly hazardous waste for them to have to send it to a hazardous waste landfill, that bar is very high. You're listening to Mothering Earth, and this is Salwa Khan. And I'm here with Andrew Dobbs of the Texas Campaign for the Environment, and we're talking trash. Right now, it's time for a break.
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here with Andrew Dobbs of the Texas Campaign for the Environment, who's speaking passionately about zero waste. We were talking about landfills and the many problems associated with them. One major issue is that landfills leak toxic materials from trash into our groundwater. So what you put into your trash bin will end up in the water that you and your family drink and bathe in. Makes you stop and think. Andrew Dobbs, you were saying there is a water issue, but there's more bad news. There's a lot of dangerous material that's going into our landfills. Um, so that, and what's really interesting is that we're now starting to see that these are point sources for air pollution as well, including mercury. Because we have mercury in so many of our products nowadays, not the least of which are the compact fluorescent light bulbs, but also in your, uh, in in the light bulbs in your electronics and your televisions, your computers, and that sort of thing, um, that the that we're seeing that there's high levels of mercury contamination at and around landfills. Um, so these are these are unhealthy places to spend your time. This is not even considering uh, pathogens, which obviously if you're putting, because not, just so that people know, not only are you putting garbage in there, but this is where, unless they are composting your biosolids, which biosolids are the stuff that they skim off of your wastewater, right? So, you know, do the math. I think everybody can figure out what we're, what the euphemism refers to here. It, you know, in some places they're composting these biosolids, but in a lot of places they're landfilling them, right? They're just sending this stuff to the landfill. So... All of that stuff is going into the landfill. All of that stuff is ending up in our groundwater. We're seeing it show up in these monitors. Um, that's why we've got to make sure that this stuff in particular is what we keep out of there. Uh, I'm Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Andrew Dobbs. And uh, getting back to uh, zero waste, so one aspect of zero waste is not using uh, plastic bags when you go to the, sh- uh, to the store, any kind of store. Can you can you talk about why that or how that works into this whole process? Because uh, I still go to the sto- uh, grocery store and see people, you know, the baggers just pulling sure. plastic bag after plastic bag out. Well, yeah, single-use plastic bags are uh, a disproportionately harmful product. They make up less than 1% of our waste stream, um, but they can cause as much as 30% of the downtime at our at our recycling facilities because they tangle up the machinery and so people have to so they have to have it, they have to shut it down some place can climb on there and cut them off. This also contributes as you might imagine to workplace injuries at these facilities. Um, so they are you know they are and then they clog up our water and wastewater systems they are uh you know litter is a zero waste issue obviously and they are um some of the most persistent and unsightly parts of our litter stream um so they have and so for such a small part of our waste stream they have such a huge impact and they cost us a lot of money and they make it harder for us and that makes it harder for us to have more zero waste programs right but i want to make sure that we're not telling people that you know the solution is for each of us to just do our part. Obviously, that's important. And everybody should use re- reusable bags. Um, but the most important thing is for us to change policy, right? Because this isn't a moral or ethical issue. This is a political issue, right? It's it's economics. Um, it's and if And if you have, I mean, we can't expect that people who are struggling, like a lot of people are nowadays, you know, who are take, doing as much as they already can, asking them to take on one more thing just voluntarily, it can be hard. It's hard to keep all the balls in the air. And at some point, you're going to have to let something drop, 
For a lot of us, it might be that. Um, it might be those bags. Um, if they're, What we found here in Austin and in nine other communities in Texas and in hundreds of communities across the country and thousands of communities around the world, about 25% of the world's population lives in places where single-use plastic ban- bags are banned or taxed. And the result is that those places are cleaner, healthier, um, that they have, they spend less money on litter cleanups. They have more opportunity. They have more beautiful communities. They have cheaper recycling, at least a little bit because of this. And they're able to focus on other problems rather than this one. Um, so that's why it's important that people not only do their own part, but that they go and talk to their policymakers and say, we need to follow the lead of the rest of the world in this community and get rid of single use plastic bags. I promise you, it's not that big of a deal. Once you get used to it, it takes, it might take a a week or two, but once you get used to it, it's such a benefit for our community. Another item that uh, goes also at this point a lot of it into our landfills is our organic waste, or uh, and I think what we're referring to here is uh, things from the kitchen, peelings, and things like that. Putrescibles, we call them. Yeah. What is that? Putrescibles. Putrescibles. Because they can be because they can go putrid. Yeah. They're, oh. They're, yeah, okay. Putrescibles. Yep. So how does how does that help? What what should we be doing with that with that that kind of waste? Well, it's interesting that you ask that because the whole, and this gives me an opportunity to talk about a basic uh, zero waste concept, which is the idea of highest and best use. Right. Anything has uh, not just one thing that you can do with it, not just throw it into the landfill or into the incinerator. Remember, there is no away, so we don't throw it away. It's going to some of our neighbors somewhere. Um, And everything that you've ever consumed is somewhere. If it hasn't been incinerated, then it's sitting somewhere in this country right now. but uh, the the so the highest and best use. There's a lot of things you can do with it, right? Um, and some of them are better than others. Um, and there's some debate about how you order that hierarchy. In general, we have some pretty good ideas about that. And so for your food wastes and your other putrescibles, the single best thing that you can do with anything is to not generate it in the first place, right? Is to be sharp with how you with how you shop, um, and to make sure that you're not buying more than you need, right? Um, the set, that's not always possible. You know, everybody mistakes these things. So the next best thing to do is to, is to feed it to hungry people. Sometimes you, you know, and, and to make sure that, you know, people are eating it. Um, the next best thing to do is to feed it to animals. Um, and so, uh, you know, feeding it to your pets or to livestock, this is why pigs are such, and chickens are so valuable. Uh, These are valuable zero waste solutions is to have more localized agriculture of this sort. Um, The next best thing to do is to, uh, is to compost it. Uh, The best way to compost it is to compost it um, in your own backyard because you have a micro uh, climate there, right? You have your own localized ecosystem. Um, And when you're using the leaves and the yard trimmings from your own yard, along with the food scraps from your own kitchen, it it has this particular benefits. And then you're not having to ship it anywhere and burn gasoline, right? The next best thing to do is to compost it um, in some kind of community system at a local community garden uh, or in some other uh, localized but still collective uh, system. And then the final way would be to compost it 
um, in uh, an industrial way, like we're planning on doing here in Austin, like San Antonio is starting to do, like more than 200 communities around the United States have done where they have a third bin in addition to their to their trash can and their recycling can, they have a composting can. Um, we need that uh, everywhere in Texas so that we have that option. That's going to, it's the lowest on that list, but it's still way above throwing it into the landfills. And if I can just say, you don't want to put that stuff in the landfills because when it breaks down in a landfill, it produces methane gas. Um, it's when you do it in an anaerobic environment without that oxygen, that methane gas is a climate gas that is more than 70 times as powerful as CO2 in the short run. And if you haven't been paying attention, the short run is all we have on climate change right now. Um, it is dramatically dangerous for our climate for us to be throwing uh, organic materials into our landfills. Um, composting that, uh, avoiding using it in the first place, eating it, uh, feeding it to hungry animals. These are options that we have for avoiding uh, these harms. And and it also seems like uh, in the case of food, uh, food waste, right. um, does some of this relate to uh, sort of industrial operations or, or right. things like restaurants or industrial kitchens and things like that, that they should also be yeah. doing these very same things? Absolutely. Right? And this is why policy is so important. And that's why that's what we focus on, as opposed to just individual action. Individual action is absolutely crucial. We have to create a different kind of culture. And we do that by acting differently, right? But each of us as individuals will never consume as much as big institutions like big businesses, the government, um, you know, the, the military, these sorts of things do, right? They are always going to have swamp us in their impacts. And so by getting the policy changes, we can get the most bang for our buck. Changing policies where we get the most bang for our buck. Here in Austin, um, by 2018, every restaurant, every business with a food permit is going to have to offer uh, composting uh, for at least their pre-consumer food scraps, the, the cuttings from the kitchen, not necessarily the scrapings from the plate. But once you have the service, why not go ahead and use it, right? We're going to have composting uh, for all of our food service businesses here in the city of Austin. Um, we are already seeing a lot of our schools do that with the help of uh, some of our local uh, vendors who are really committed on this and that are educating them and that are providing that service and composting all of the stuff from the lunchroom. Um, those are huge opportunities right there. Um, and I think that that's why, and I think that people need to push not only to make sure that their local governments are providing them with composting, but saying, hey, what about our multifamily housing? What about our, what about our restaurants? What about our schools? What about, um, you know, government uh, cafeterias and, you know, and military? And what about the military? You know, these are places where we're generating a lot of these materials. If we can get those places to do that, then we have such a bigger impact than just you or I doing it in our backyards, as important as that is. In addition to uh, reducing the amount of packaging, packaged materials that we buy, and in fact, I'm sorry, let, let me go back. Sure. Let's talk about, because uh, we're talking about sort of big operations and companies doing things. Um, what about, um, or how do we get companies to change their packaging so that there's less of it, so that the products that we buy aren't so heavily packaged? Well, that's, an, that's a really valuable question. Um, what I can tell you is that there's several different pieces to this. And the big picture is to, the big simple answer is to get the incentives right, right? Because right now they're externalizing all that cost of packaging. Who provides our trash service? The government, 
right? Or or we pay for it, you know, if we're living out in the county or something, we're paying for it, you know, through private contracts, right? We pay for that through our tax dollars or through our through our rates that we pay, right? Um, and so the business knows they can generate as much trash as they want because somebody else is paying for it. We have to internalize that expense. We have to make it so that they see that cost and they say, wait a second, and it's on their bottom line, right? That's just business, right? You make it so that, so that it's in their best interests to not generate that. We're almost out of time now, but on our next program, Andrew Dobbs talks about how we make companies responsible for their packaging, about electronic waste, and more ways to get to zero waste. To get there, you and I need to get involved. TCE, Texas Campaign for the Environment, is an organization that is making a difference. But as Dobbs tells us, they need our help. I would definitely check out TexasEnvironment.org um, and uh, you know, and get in touch with us through that. Um, we're always happy to hear from folks. We send canvassers door to door. That's how we raise most of our money. That's how we generate our membership. That's how we generate uh, contact from the community to decision makers. If you get that knock at your door, I realize that sometimes you got the the, the kids in the oven and the turkey in the tub, and you know it's it's a busy time and everything else. But taking that five minutes to to engage with us really does make an impact. You know, I'm able to be here today talking to you because that I'm able to go down to City Hall and to the state capitol and to county commissioners' courts around the state. We're able to fight bad proposed facilities. We're able to be a part of these national campaigns on on e-waste and on toxic products. We're able to go and demonstrate at corporate uh, headquarters and at meetings. We're able to do all of these things and build a zero waste movement because people take that time to write those letters, write those checks, and become our members. Right. So definitely, you know, uh, take that time. And then, like I said, engage in your community, you know, engage with your elected officials. Tell them that this is a priority for you. Think about all the things you can do to reuse, recycle, and reduce. Think about packaging when you buy products and buy those with the least or no packaging. On our next program, more ideas to get to zero waste. Thank you for listening. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth.